All right, welcome to another episode of The Bobble Guys. My name is Rick Kleinard. I'm joined here with Jerry Hullinger. Jerry, this episode drops on Black Friday. Jerry, have you ever gone Black Friday shopping? Never. Has your wife ever gone? Never. So you guys are completely... Well, my wife may have, but I don't do any shopping. Oh. Everything's delegated to her. Okay. So my wife would has done this in the past. So if, if you're listening to us while you are probably recovering from Black Friday, because this drops at 8 o'clock on the Fridays, chances are all the things are gone. So my guess is if you're listening to this episode and you've gone Black Friday shopping, you're at home, you're, you're defragging, you're decompressing from all the stress you were just a part of just to get some deals. Hopefully you got what you're looking for. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but hopefully you didn't get trampled while running out there because we see crazy people doing crazy stuff on Black Friday. I think that the only time I ever did Black Friday shopping with my wife, because my wife treats this like a military excursion. She will go with her sister. She's gone with others in the past, and they've mapped it all out, and it's like it's like watching them plan D-Day. I mean, she just, just does it. And she's back, and she's got everything she needs. For me, I would be too stressed out with people um, I'm probably going to get security called on me because I snapped at somebody and I'm going to be waiting in the, you know, the, I guess the holding tank at Walmart while my wife goes shopping, the, the, the husband daycare <laughs> until I get picked up. Wow. But, I was planning on going. No, so don't I, do it. Now I don't think I will. Don't do it. I'm don't totally do it. kidding. Don't do it. One time I went and we, we actually went one time to get the kids when they were younger, some bikes. And the deal was it was black Friday, but they opened it on a Thursday, which Go figure that one out. So we were able to, we, we had the kids, they were like in, I mean, some of them, like two of them were in car seats. We pulled up to the Walmart. Jill went in to get the bikes. She's coming out. We're going to put them in the van. The kids are asleep because they, they're completely drugged out on turkey and, and pumpkin pie from that Thanksgiving. And everything was quiet until Jill comes out. And all of a sudden I hear my daughter go, we're getting bikes. <laughs> It's like I had like soothing piano jazz music playing in the radio. (laughs) Everything was putting them to sleep. And then all of a sudden they woke up and it was over. So you're reminding me why I don't like holidays. Is that because of the gifts? Just because of the whole everything. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. No no further comment. I just do not like holidays. So next week when I have a Christmas tree in here, are you going to be okay? Well, maybe we can talk about it. Okay. Let's do (laughs) it. Maybe you, that was a good episode. Good I don't se- like Christmas either. That's a good segue because next week's episode is about Christmas myths. Oh, okay. As we get people ready for that. We've gotten a lot of questions about Christmas myths, things that are commonly practiced, things like that. So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to get right into it starting next week. So you want to make sure you catch that episode. Hopefully you'll be listening to it with some Christmas music in the background. Well, I'll try to temper my language. Please do. All right, so this week... I think I would kind of intro this question with one of those. Um, both of us will, will be in church, and we might hear somebody say this statement or something like this. And I don't know how you respond to it. Sometimes I'm have to be, I have to be careful because I have a lot of students who go to my, my church and maybe some former students in my classrooms at the college who go to my church. And I've said this in class. I've said something like this in, in a lecture. So whenever somebody makes a statement like this, I call them pastorisms. And it's not necessarily the pastor saying it. It's just these church statements we make that, uh, if you look at it, that's not really what's going on. This is from Matthew 18. And it's probably one of the most maybe commonly misunderstood passages about where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. And sometimes I've heard people pray, and you have probably heard it too, Lord, we know you're here because your word says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So we know you're here with us. And 
So is Matthew 18, that passage, really talking about God's or Christ's presence with a quorum of Christians? No. All right. So are we done? Yeah. That... We'll catch you next time. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll, I'll add even more. All right. Not only is it not talking about that, I don't even think it's talking about prayer. Exactly. Let's let's read the passage in, okay. in Matthew, and we're going to start in verse chapter 18, verse 15, and I'm going to read out of the HCSB, and here's what it says. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays attention, or if he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loose in heaven. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. May I start in an odd place? Please do. For this. I'm going to start with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus is giving the Great Commission to his disciples. And as as we all know, the key verb there is make disciples. And he's going to tell them three ways they do that. One of them is by teaching. And Jesus says to the disciples, teach them all things I have commanded you. Anybody who has studied Matthew knows that Matthew is um, uh, structured around five great discourse sections, and Matthew 18 is one of those discourses. It's the fourth, fourth one in Matthew. And I say all of that to emphasize the point, and you've already kind of stolen my thunder because you went back and read in the context, but when we interpret a verse or verses like this, particularly when they occur occur in a discourse like this, we've got to understand what the entire discourse is talking about. We can't just go to this, uh, there am I in the midst of them, if you ask anything, I'll do it for you. You can't just look at those two verses. You've got to look at the entire discourse and follow the argument. And once you follow the logic of the discourse, really the interpretation of those verses opens up quite nicely. And um, I know when I've gone over this passage in other settings, as I do that, people basically say, man, that's so obvious. How could we not have seen that? Mm -hmm. And so as we're reading this passage, and most of our listeners may have caught on, this is really talking about what's commonly seen as the passage where Jesus talks about what we would call church discipline. Mm -hmm. So what's happening here? And so let's just kind of go through this passage, because before we get to the um, where two or three are gathered. Yeah. Let's look at really what's happening in church discipline. Um, you and I both are—we uh, both go to a local church, not the same one, although that could be fun. We could, we should work that out. Trying to get you here, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, but we do practice church discipline. We've been in churches that have practiced mm-hmm. church di- discipline. Uh, I was uh, in another country training some local pastors, and they wanted to talk about how do we do church discipline. And so I said, okay, well, how do you? how do you do church membership? And they all said, we don't have church membership. We, it's just, it's a state kind of thing. You go. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you can't do church discipline. You, you can't do church discipline because you don't have a meaningful church membership. Matthew 18 is all about, I mean, if you look at the passage in verse 18, 
he says, whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. And this is the, the HCSB's reading of it, uh, based on the Greek text of how it works. Mm-hmm. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. He uses the words of binding and loosing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always taken those two words to talking about the binding is the church membership. You're binding them to yourself. You're saying, we publicly affirm that this person, as the best of our knowledge, is a believer in Christ. We can't know for sure, but based on their profession of faith, based on us understanding them more, we're binding them to ourselves. The loosing is loosening them from a part of the church, a part of, of that local body of Christ. Um, I get that a lot from the writings of the guys at Nine Marks, Jonathan Lehman, Mark Dever, those guys who write that. They, that's how they interpret that, and that's how I see the words binding and loosing. Mm-hmm. Not on so much of putting sin on someone, like binding someone of their sin and then loosening of it, but rather you're binding them to yourself and loosening them from yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, And what it's saying in that passage, if you look at it the way that HCSB renders it, Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. So church membership is not saying this person's a Christian. It's just affirming something that's already true. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for church discipline. It's it's not saying this person's not a Christian. It just may be affirming, because we can't know for sure, something that's already true. Yeah, it's a interesting construction there. It's a paraphrastic construction. And, and I think they've uh, translated it correctly, as the New American Standard has as well. Uh, you know, another way to kind of maybe look at this is if we don't take church in a technical sense, mm. we could just take it as a group of believers. Mm-hmm. And and it is possible, you know, if, if we went all the way back to the beginning of Matthew 18, the disciples are arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus puts a child in their midst and says, you need to be converted. And he's not telling them they need to be saved, but they need to change their, their mindset and their attitude to one of, of humility. And, and as the passage goes on, I think the church would be a good application of it. But he's also, I think, indicating that there might be interpersonal disputes among the disciples. Mm-hmm. And so, as you said, this is a, a widely, uh, this is a discipline passage about how to deal, deal with relationships. And some would argue as you have, that this is in a church setting. Others would argue, well, this is just an interpersonal relationships. Right. So the passage that was under consideration for today, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. If we're following Matthew's argument, this has to do under a, what, whether interpersonal or church setting, this has to do with a disciplinary action. Agree. So are we and maybe let's help our listeners so they can still feel like they can pray the things that they've been praying. Um, we do believe that Jesus is among his people. We know that in Matthew 28, I'm with you always, all the days, even to the end of the age. There's the promise right there. Right. It's not based on there's got to be two or three. Not, there's not a quorum that's necessary yes. for, God, for Christ's presence. However, in this interpersonal or church issue, there seems to have to be some kind of quorum or maybe multiple people involved rather than just mm-hmm. person versus person. So can we kind of explain that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, I think if you if you you know push push back just a little um, more in the context, Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep, and he indicates um, in verse fourteen that it is not the father father's will that any of these little ones perish. 
the little ones in the, the passage are, refers to a humble disciple, and perishing just refers to a disciple who has been caused to go astray by another disciple. And so, in my opinion, when you come to the two or three, the two, that, that would be referring to the, the disciple who has caused the offense, the offender, and then the offended one. So I think those are the two main players in this, and there might be another one involved in the dispute as well. But I think the two or three are, are the ones who are involved in this conflict. Mm-hmm. I think the first step here, is, as, as Jesus would tell us here, is if you and I have got an issue with each other, let's say we're a part of the same local church or even the same interpersonal relationship here, we, if I've got a problem with you, my first step is to go to you. Right Now here in the South, where we're recording this from, that's very hard to do because here in the South we... Uh, what's the word I'm going to look for? We're polite liars. Uh, <laughs> we'll say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but it really is. I think that's true of people in Minnesota, I've heard as well. <laughs> okay. But they just can't say the truth about somebody. I haven't heard that, but man, oh, goodness. Whatever, but, yeah. That's... But that's the thing here. So I think we're we're really co- Like, I've even had to teach my kids this when I've had to teach them. Like, we, maybe I'm a bad parent, but we told our kids, we never made our kids say they were sorry because we we felt like we would be training them to be liars because they're not sorry. I don't want my, I don't want one of my kids to go to the other kid and go, sorry, under gritted teeth. They're not really sorry. I just, I just taught a really good liar. So what we did was say, when you, when you feel sorry about this, if, if you're sorry about this, then you need to go and ask for your, ask your friend, ask your brother or sister for forgiveness. But then we had to teach our offended child on how to respond because if one child said, I'm sorry I did that, and their response was, it's okay, no, that's not the right answer. I know what you're trying to say, but don't say it's okay because it's not. That's why dad and mom have had to talk to this other child because it's not okay. Um, no, your, your response is, I forgive you. That's your response, not it's okay. So um, I think there's part of that whole Southern analogy we have. When, when I go to you with an issue, we need to both own it. You know, hey, I, I wronged you, and, I, and I, I need you to forgive me, or I'm asking you for forgiveness. And, and, and that's something we have to learn how to do. It's not just when we say learn how to forgive, it's not just letting it go, but it's also saying, yeah, I do forgive you. It was wrong, but I forgive you. So I think that's a part of that. I do, too. There has to be that, that coming together and, and discussing the thing. And I think that, that transitions nicely into one of the key points of interpretation of if two or three of you shall agree that is come together on anything i think the old the king james says i believe you read in the hcsb it says any matter um uh, yeah any yeah ma- any matter the term matter or the term thing as it sometimes translated can refer to a lawsuit or a dispute which again shows that this is a context of conflict and discipline, and basically just trying to get along. And the word translated pray can have the idea of settling a dispute. So as you've said, when they they come together, they're coming together not to pray, they're coming together to settle the problem. And as you have uh, eloquently commented on the paraphrastic perfect construction here, um, that that when they settle the dispute, this has the approval of God. This has his blessing because they've come to a conclusion 
that was biblical, if I can put it that way, in the first place. Yeah. And so let me make a quick parallel. I'm going to jump here. This is why what's going on in Corinth in 1 Corinthians is such a problem, because they're they're suing one another. Yeah. And Paul comes in exactly. and says, guys, don't, don't, can't you handle this by yourself? And then he goes into that theological, don't, don't you know you're going to judge angels? So why would you hand over matters that you should be handling, just like Jesus taught us here in Matthew when he was here? Can't you handle it? Why, why, why would you go to the pagan courts to handle an issue that you can handle? And if, and then he makes that construction. And even if, even if it means one of you is wronged, isn't it better just to be wronged? Yeah. Than, to, than to feel like then you have to settle it outside. And that's really what was happening in, in Corinth. It was that they were missing the words of Jesus here. Guys, settle this, settle the dispute, get together, settle the dispute amongst yourselves. Don't, it's, it's a shame for you to have to take it to the secular courts, if you use that term. Right. You know why I feel really good that our interpretation is right? Uh, that's, that's a loaded question. Go for it. And then I'm going to sleep well tonight. Peter's response to this, mm-hmm. I mean, this this is just a slam dunk that this interpretation is correct, because what does Peter ask Jesus as soon as he says this? Yeah, verse 21, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven? Exactly. I mean, that that shows he understood. So this wasn't kind of a an interlude where Jesus is talking about fellow believers, you know, offending each other and causing them to stumble. And then say, oh, by the way, you know, here's a little prayer tip for you. Right. No, he's continuing the flow of the argument. Peter got it. Mm-hmm. And he understood that these are instructions for settling um, interpersonal disputes and arguments and problems. And then he basically says, how many times do I have to go through this procedure? And then Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. Right. Where he says, all right, guys, let me just make sure you got this. Because... The, the man who's been forgiven much, he's been forgiven this exorbitant amount of money that he can never pay back. He's forgiven of it, and then he goes out and chokes a guy out for a small <laughs> fee. Right. Um, he says, listen, you, you, you've got it all wrong. That's how you're supposed to interact with each other. So really, Jesus sets up why we should forgive. He says, guys, whatever you deal with in this life, however, whatever offense someone does to you, it pales in comparison to your offense to a holy God. Exactly. And that holy God has paid that debt through himself, through Christ. So why can't you just forgive? Now, that does open up a couple different thoughts, and I don't, we didn't prepare for it, but let's do it if we can. Wing it, yeah. All right. So there might be some listening to this and go, okay, so I am a member of a church, and I've got another brother, maybe even in that church, or sister in that church, and there's a legal issue. There's something that is a legal matter that they're not willing to listen to. Um, we've gone before people, we've gone to the church, the church has dealt with it, but it still hasn't fixed the issue. Mm-hmm. Are, is there any time when, uh, I mean, First Corinthians seems to indicate not at all ever, but is there a time when brothers can sue or have a lawsuit against brothers? Mm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think, I think there are times when that can be the case, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with criminal matters, then I think, you know, there is legitimacy for that. But usually within churches and friendships, it's just these petty kinds of things. Well, maybe not petty, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Not petty and petty and parallel to what the real matter, like a big, yeah, Yeah. right. So, 
you know, those kinds of things, yes, solve them out of court. But but there may be occasion if, if criminal matters are involved, then unfortunately, you know, some legal proceedings may have to take take place. I would agree 100 percent if it's a criminal matter. So, for example, if if there was a situation where uh, and I'm just throwing because this is out there in our culture today when we have some situations going, situations going on in in some denominations with this, if it's a situation where someone has committed a crime. Mm-hmm. That is not something you handle within the church. Right. That you are legally obligated to turn that over. And I think you're doing, you're, you're not bringing glory to the name of Christ by covering a matter. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't quote, it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. That's not what that's talking about. Don't, don't do that. Do the right thing legally. Um, sometimes your hands get forced. You have to. Mm-hmm. So it's that, we're definitely saying that goes. You're not, I don't believe you're in violation of 1 Corinthians when you turn that over to a legal matter, that is not as a pastor, as a leader in the church. That is not for me to try to dis- try to figure out who's right, who's wrong in that case of justice. Mm-hmm. That's something you have to hand over. But like you said, I'm going to use the word petty, but I'm using air quotes. Yeah, that was a bad word. I no, couldn't no, think of a, I couldn't a, think of another term. It's a it's a good word in comparison because for the most part, it's a situation where it's a he said she said. It's a frustration. It's a you you offended someone. Yeah, right. And it wasn't. It, it 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 was a legitimate offense. You feel legitimately hurt, but it may or not may or may not have been um, intended by the offender, and you need to straighten that out mm-hmm. and and get that right. You know, just what Paul tells the Philippian church, the two the two ladies yeah. to get along. Mm-hmm. And so that's happening there. And so really, with these different passages, you have categories of offense. Mm-hmm. In Matthew nineteen or eighteen, rather, Jesus is instructing the disciples. On, on these interpersonal relationships. Corinthians, I think he's doing a similar thing within the church. But then you have this other category of criminal matters. And then you really have even another category if we went there at some point in 1 Timothy 5 where Paul talks about what do you do with elders who sin in the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned something, and, and again, maybe down the road we can deal with this, but these are things you can't cover up. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are things, unfortunately, that sometimes have to be done publicly. And so really the Timothy passage is a whole other category as well. Yeah, and I think there's, a, there's let's say, there's biblically, biblically publicly. In yeah. Our, in our era of social media, it's just, yes. just throw it out there. Yeah. Like, ah, you know, okay, have we, and I'm, I'm assuming that you've done it biblically. I'm assuming that the person who's tweeting or f- putting this out there has done this biblically, but I don't want to make that assumption because we live now in the, the era of public opinion, the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. Let's throw it out there and let's go ahead and pass judgment before we hurt everything. Um, I think that's a danger too. So that's why, so for example, in, if we're doing church discipline here at our church, let's say we have to do a situation. Number one, we don't share everything. Um, so if there's a situation where we have to do church discipline, we don't give all the details because we, we assume, hey, you're going to trust the elders who've investigated this. And honestly, it's it's really none of your business except for to please understand we, we're doing this on, on it for a reason. Um, this is a unanimous thing. We've got four different elders here at Salem now, and we've got other people we've talked to about it. We've brought it forward, deacons, and, and, and taking care of it that way. So by the time it goes to the congregation, it's gone through its, it's um, due diligence, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. But we also want to protect the reputation of the person. Yeah. So that we don't share everything, because we're, our hope is restoration, which is the goal right. of church discipline. Right. And if everybody knows the dirty laundry, 
they can't. It's going to be very difficult for them to be restored to that local church, definitely, but maybe even to another local church out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it depends on the offense. And, right. But we never want to be in a position where, because things eventually come out, particularly when it involves church leadership. And mm-hmm. I'm still thinking of the Timothy that's thing good. here. So you don't want to cover something up because that's going to destroy the integrity of the church. Yeah. I think transparency is very important, but there's also, it's got to be tempered with wisdom on what, share it, but when, to whom, and how much. Because I, I... just letting it all out there that's, you know, there's Proverbs, the fool speaks his, you know, the speaks his mind and like, oh, okay, too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do need to take our time in that. But again, we would say if it's a criminal issue, yeah, that's something you have to hand out there. You got to hand that over to the local authorities, make sure it's taken care of. Cause that's, that's not what Christ was intending here. We don't mm-hmm. believe that. We don't believe that's what Paul was intending in the first Corinthians passage. We're talking about, like you said, those not smaller, but those less, let's say non- illegal, non-legal issues, disagreements with one another. Yeah, and these kinds of things surface a lot. Mm-hmm. And in in again, going back to the Matthew 18 passage with all the disclaimers, the discourse begins with the disciples basically just fighting among themselves. And Christ instructs them on humility and the the danger of causing other believers to stumble and to go off the path. God takes that very seriously. And so they're to deal with the individual that causes that kind of thing, which leads to this kind of instruction, uh, particularly um, about the two or three gathered and and how they're to settle that dispute. And then as the chapter ends, as you've said, uh, this parable about being willing to forgive our our brother um, as many times as it takes. Mm-hmm. That's important because what Jesus is saying there with Peter is not, all right, count it off. you got to do 70 times 7. No, he, right. He's using, he's saying, hey, every time he offends you. Yeah, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. And that is what he's saying. Yeah, and that's where it gets real because it's like how, so now we can go into a different thing as we kind of maybe wrap up this conversation. We do have to, I think, I, we have to make sure we understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not, okay, act like it never happened, let it set up again. Forgiveness is, hey, I, I don't hold you Account, yeah. I don't hold you at fault. I mean, I hold you at fault, but I'm not going to hold this over you. Right. But at the same time, it's 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 not keeping the door open for further this, further whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so for I've, I've used the illustration before of like if, if you borrowed my car and you drove it like an idiot and wrecked it, okay, well, <laughs> I forgive you. You're going to take care of it. Right. Um, and then I hand it to you again, and you did it again. I'm like, okay, I'm. you know what, Jerry? You can get an Uber. You know, um, I love you, but you're getting an Uber. And now you can't, I don't think you can say, well, are you not forgiving? I'm forgiving. But there's also a point of, am I enabling you to continue in yeah. this sinful pattern without mm-hmm. holding you accountable for it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is some limits. And, and I think those are case by case basis. Yeah. Every time. I like the way you stated that. And that reminded me when you said that of when God says, really, he's talking to Israel. But I think since the passage is cited in Hebrews, it would apply to us as Christians as well, when he talks about how God will not remember our sins anymore, um, that doesn't mean God isn't aware of them. There's not this divine amnesia going on. But as you said, and I I think that's the perfect way to state it, he's not going to hold them against us anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do with other people. Yeah, I think that's it. 
Well, thank you for that question. Uh, listeners, if, as always, if you want to submit a question to us, you can email us at bobbleguyspodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram or Twitter, and that's bobbleguyspod, and that username is both for Instagram and Twitter. For Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Kleinard. We'll see you next time. 